G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. You know how in the stories of Jesus, Jesus always reaches people at their lowest, when they're at the most broken, when their worldview just doesn't work, which is exactly where I was at, completely broken. And I heard the voice of God again. And he said to me, Eliezer, my son, I have you where I want you, and I want you in the ministry. That was really a turning point in my life. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, as we heard last time, Eliezer Gonzalez was born in Switzerland in 1965 of Spanish parents who had fled there to avoid an oppressive fascist dictatorship in their home country. Then we heard that eventually Eliezer and his family moved to Australia, where they began to attend a legalistic church, and Eliezer's life was essentially a series of do's and don'ts without much grace. The irony that we're going to hear about today is that now he leads a ministry that emphasises sharing the good news of God's grace throughout the world. We'll find out how this transformation came about in his life as Eliezer shares more of his story with us today. Once again, he's chatting with Eric Scatterbo. Eliezer, welcome back to the program. Thanks. Glad to be back. Okay, let's pick it up where we left off last time. You were in your adult years. You had an encounter with God where you knew that God had a special purpose for your life. But instead of going into ministry, you went into secular jobs and positions that you were successful at and were part of a successful business. Is that right? Yes, yes, a, a series of them. But then also, as we heard in the introduction, you struggled with legalism and following rules and regulations and thinking that that was the way to get God's approval. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And, you know, the fact that I went into uh, business and management sort of suited that because I was very good at controlling everything. So, <laughs> oh, okay. So that being a legalist and wanting approval and do's and don'ts and following regulations, that kind of fits in with what you gravitated toward. That's it. I was the boss. I set the rules. I enforced the rules, I controlled the money. And that all worked out well until it didn't. Until it didn't, and that's what happens to lives, the lives of people, right? They all go well until suddenly they don't, and that's what happened to me. So let's find out what happened. Well, I derived, I got all my identity from my church, Mm -hmm. and I got all my identity from my family, and I thought my family and my church were the bee's knees. (laughs) And uh, by my family, I mean my parents and my brother, and also from my career that I was successful at, you know, in my business endeavors and whatever I touched seemed to turn to gold. It was all very good until God took all those things away. Hmm. First of all, with the church, uh, I became aware as has tragically been discovered in, in so many right across Christian spectrum and, and secular institutions, but there was child abuse happening in the church where mm-hmm. I had grown up and that yeah. I had loved so much. And it was being covered up. And uh, when those who were covering this up found out that I knew, I sort of got shunned and told without so many words to get out. Hmm. And uh, back then, you know, we didn't know what to do with these things or how to report them and whatnot. And so that caused a huge crisis in my life because my church was so important to me. Yeah. And and churches should be important, but for the right reason, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) 
So that must have rocked your world because you thought they were all about righteousness and following rules and regulations, and, yeah, and they weren't. You, you, you scratch the whitewashed surface, and it's just um, stinking, disgusting sepulchers inside, hmm. yep. as Jesus said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that must have really rocked your world. And yeah, so sure did. What, what happened? What did you do? Well, I left. I couldn't go there anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But everything kind of happened simultaneously. You know, I'd been married for a little bit by then, a couple of years mm-hmm. or a year and a half. And my parents didn't like the, uh, the lady that I had chosen to marry. And so I was disowned by my parents. Oh, wow. Right. And so yeah. my whole family, that's another long story. But basically, my family that I loved so much, I no longer had. I mean, my mother loved me dearly, but she wasn't mm-hmm. allowed by my father to see me almost until her, her death. Mm. Uh, Sorry to hear that. so sad. Yeah. And that sort of destroyed me. And then I had ended up establishing some international blue sky entrepreneurial businesses because I'd been tapped on the shoulder by some folk with money mm-hmm. and they had recognized I had some talent in this area and some good ideas and we'd been uh, going at it for a bit when the uh, GFC hit. Remember the global financial crisis? Yeah. Yeah, was that about and, 2007, uh, 2008? Yeah, 2006. Okay, 2006. Seven, I was, eight, I was yeah, near. The, the washout. The washout <laughs> yep, yep. sort of followed for a few years there. Mm-hmm. So those businesses started to go bad and I'd put everything in them. Mm-hmm. And I remember going out to walk just at night along the streets of my suburb and praying, oh, Lord, you know, please bless these businesses and, and I will, um, you know, I'll give the profits to the preaching of the gospel. See, always trying to make deals with God I was. Mm. That's legalistic, right? Mm. It can be. And I was legalistic, trying to make deals with God, negotiating with God. If I give you enough offerings, maybe you'll uh, give me more money. That's legalism, right? Yeah, but that's where you were at that point. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember that God would tell me over and over again, don't worry, keep going. The outcome of this will be for my glory. And so I thought, okay, so God's going to wangle it somehow so the businesses go really well and, and it all works. Um, and I drove those businesses to the ground. The investors, you know, millions of dollars involved, wow. lost money. We'd done things properly and legally and so on. So there was no wrongdoing involved, but it was an investment. They lost mm-hmm. their money. And I lost everything too. And I ended up with two mortgages I couldn't pay for. And a month later, being overqualified for any job, couldn't get a job. And uh, on my knees, alone in the house, I remember at midday, just metaphorically shaking my fist up to God, up at heaven, saying, why, God, why? Why have you let this happen to me? Why have you put me in this position? I've always been faithful. I've tried to be obedient. You know, Mm. I've tried to follow the rules. And this is not how the script is meant to go. So this was my Job moment, see? Mm -hmm. And certainly people could relate to that because, hey, you were a good person. You did all the the right do's and didn't do a lot of the don'ts except for some problems you had, but you kind of felt God owed you. Well, that's right. And, you know, what does God owe me? Nothing. <laughs> but but you felt that way at the time. Is that right? Yeah. Basically, if you do the right thing, God will do the right thing by you. And he owes it to you, kind of. He owes it to you. He's like a divine um, waiter. You tip him enough and he'll give you a good meal. <laughs> Right? <laughs> so that was kind of the stinking thinking at that point in your life. Uh, very stinking thinking. But I was really at my lowest there. And mm-hmm. as I said, I was struggling with my addictions as well. And they were causing mm-hmm. all sorts of problems. Mm-hmm. So you know how in the stories of Jesus, Jesus always reaches people at their lowest, mm-hmm. when they're at the most broken, mm-hmm. when their worldview just doesn't work, which is exactly where I was at, completely broken. And I heard the voice of God again. Hmm. And he said to me, Eliezer, my son, I have you where I want you, and I want you in the ministry. 
that was really a turning point in my life. So he finally tapped you on the shoulder. Yeah, and I couldn't deny it. Maybe all these things falling apart, where you uh, were struggling to get money for petrol and all that, maybe that needed to happen to get your attention. Well, that's right, because God wanted my attention to be away from myself and to be on him. I mean, false religion always has the attention on, on me, my needs and my wants and my desires and how I think I should be rather than what God says. And uh, the reality is, as you're right, I actually at that point I couldn't even afford petrol. I remember I couldn't afford to put enough petrol in the car to drive down to the supermarket a few kilometres away to buy food for my family. And I, mm. and I had the bank ringing me regularly asking why the uh, mortgage payments weren't being made. So you're feeling the strain at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But this was the turning point and I knew tears streaming out of my eyes. It was a, it was it. This was a God moment and I knew that I couldn't say no, but I didn't know how I was going to go forward with my life because here I am mid 40s, mm-hmm. if you like, and um can't pay my debts and God wants me to go off and be a pastor. What do you have to do to be a pastor? You go off and study. I mm-hmm. couldn't afford to study. I needed to work. And so God said to me, he said to me, "Look, I'm going to solve all these financial problems and your job is to step through the doors that I'm going to open up as quickly as you can and study as quickly as you can. And I remember I had two mortgages. I still had an investment property in Sydney that I hadn't been able to sell because the property market had crashed mm-hmm. after the GFC around that time. And I'd taken it off the market after having had it on the market for a year because if I had sold it, I'd end up owing the bank so many thousands of dollars that I couldn't repay that loan. So I'd taken it off the market. God said, put it back on the market. I put it back on the market and within a week it had sold and I'd cleared 50 bucks. <laughs> How's that? There you go. You know, my wife had applied for a job uh, very recently and she'd been turned down. I said to her, contact them again. And she said, why? They turned me down. I said, no, just contact them again because God said he's going to take care of us. So she contacted them and they said, oh, you were really good, actually. Actually, we've got another job here, and it's a, it's a higher level job than the one that was advertised. Oh, my would goodness. You, would you be interested? Yeah. So she got a part-time job that helped to tide us along. And then other fellow Christians who found out that I was studying for the ministry and had kind of always thought that I should have been, mm-hmm. well, they started to make money appear in our bank accounts and give us envelopes mm-hmm. with money and whatnot. And that was like that for years, which is very humbling for someone, you know, from a Southern European background where, you know, the man's got to provide. So, yeah. And also yeah. you were so successful business-wise before this. Yeah. So it was very humbling. Mm-hmm. And God was right. You know, within within one year of that day, I'd completed two master's degrees. Can you believe it? Wow. One in theology and one in uh, New Testament history. Wow. And uh, 18 months after that, I'd completed a PhD. And I'd completed it so quickly that uh, Macquarie University in Sydney didn't want me to submit my PhD thesis in case it wasn't good enough because they couldn't believe it should have, you know, I could have done a good job in doing it so quickly. I actually did done a very good job. So I spent <laughs> the next six months wow. just uh, writing research papers and publishing. But also, meanwhile, God was working on your heart. It wasn't just about <laughs> head knowledge at this point. No, because all this study I did for this uh, three years or so, or two and a half to three years, I all did from home. I did it, I guess, it's just research really, mainly, and and correspondence. So I remember I spent so many hours just reading the teachings of Jesus and the stories of Jesus in the Gospels Mm -hmm. over and over again, because I knew that what I had believed before and how I had understood God and the world and myself hadn't worked. And I wanted to learn what the message of Christ was firsthand. 
And so I, I put out of my mind every sermon I'd ever heard, every book I'd ever read, anything anyone had ever told me, and I just drank it from the source. Mm. And I just discovered the message of Jesus as if I'd never known it before, the gospel. And it was just so liberating and so freeing, and it was just amazing. When I'd finished that, then I started with the book of Romans and mm. the epistles of Paul, because, you know, someone once said that Jesus made the atonement, but Paul explained it, right? Mm. Yeah. I'm just curious to know, someone's listening and saying, I don't really follow. You were into religion and you were following a bunch of rules. And then what was this this epiphany that you had? What's the difference now? The difference is that uh, I saw that you've got to put Jesus at the center, Mm -hmm. at the heart. And that his message isn't one of judgment and condemnation and rule following. Mm -hmm. But his message is one of mercy and grace and forgiveness and freedom. Mm-hmm. And see, what I used to believe before, Eric, is that he saved you freely, like mm-hmm. he forgave your sins, and then he said to you, now go and be a good boy, because at the end of the day, I'm going to look at how much of a good boy you've been, and you're only going to get saved if you've hit a certain standard of goodness. Mm-hmm. So it was like there were two phases to my salvation. Mm-hmm. And I realized that there aren't. It's all of grace. It's mm, all amen. because of what Jesus has mm-hmm. done at Calvary. Mm-hmm. And my salvation is only dependent on the fact that when I trust in Jesus, he declares me perfect mm-hmm. and accepted by God, fully accepted, without any works that mm-hmm. I have done or ever will do. Mm-hmm. And then where does uh, doing good things, where does that fit in and, and following Well, the it's Ten the most logical thing in the world, Eric, but mm-hmm. I could never see it before. Where that follows is that now, because I've been freed from the bondage of sin by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, freely through his grace, Mm -hmm. now my heart is full of gratitude towards God, Mm -hmm. and I want to live a life that serves him and honors him and obeys him, and God sends the Holy Spirit into my heart to help me do just that. Mm. But whatever kind of life I live, as long as I'm connected with Christ through faith, It doesn't count towards my salvation because I'm already saved. Mm -hmm. And that was the epiphany that I had. My identity is based only on the fact that I am a child of God, Hmm. redeemed by his grace, that I've been loved from forever and I will be loved for forever and I accept the gift. And Mm. and that's the base of my identity. And because of that, I can get through anything. Mm. My whole view of God and myself and others just radically changed. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is once again chatting with Eliezer Gonzalez, who's sharing his life journey and how he was set free of legalistic thinking and has been liberated by grace. We'll hear more of Eliezer's story and how God was working in his life when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is once again Eliezer Gonzalez, who's sharing his life journey and how he's been set free from legalistic thinking by learning more of the Bible and what God is really like. Next, we're going to find out how this impacted his life as he continues sharing his story with Eric Scatterbone. 
So what happened after you learned more about what God's character is really like? Well, I finished my studies and then I found myself broke again hmm. and unable to get a job no matter how, how hard I tried because, you know, I was in my mid-40s mm-hmm. and I was very scary, I guess, for an employer, you know, PhD, two master's degrees, and I was applying everywhere and just couldn't get a job. At the same time as I was praying for the Lord to lead, unknown to me, uh, the founder of a gospel ministry called Good News Unlimited and his daughter had gone off to Darwin, specifically on a prayer retreat, to pray that God would find someone to continue the ministry of Dr. Desmond Ford, the founder of Good News Unlimited, Mm -hmm. because he was already in his mid-80s and and getting tired. Mm -hmm. And unknown to them and without permission, I received a phone call Someone rang me without permission, telling me about the need of this ministry and basically offering me the job. Would I be willing to consider it? Hmm. Now, the problem with me is that I'd known about this ministry back when I was younger, mm-hmm. and it's a, it was truly a gospel ministry, but I had a lot of baggage from all the wrong legalistic ideas I, I had about Christianity. Mm-hmm. And in my younger days, I thought that Dr. Desmond Ford and, and this ministry were basically off the rails and preaching the wrong thing and huh. that they were the enemy. And so now, although I'd understood the gospel, I still carried a lot of this baggage. And joining this ministry was the last thing that I wanted to do. And to cut a long story short, the Lord had to drag me kicking and (laughs) screaming to accept this position. And he did it through a series of miracles where he made it so clear. Don't Mm. tell me miracles don't exist. He made it so clear to my wife and I, because neither my wife nor I uh, wanted me to do this. Mm. He made it so clear that it was his will. It was extraordinary. And so now what is your position with Good News Unlimited? Well, now I'm the uh, managing director and senior pastor. Mm -hmm. When I took it over, it was literally a dying ministry. It just printed magazines and some books uh, with very limited circulation. But now by the grace of God, we've been able to transform it into a a truly global ministry that actually shares the the gospel, the gospel that's saved and freed me Mm -hmm. with uh, people from every nation on earth. Wow. So at the end of the day, it's perfectly in sync with what you know God's character is. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, God's been so faithful to me. And you know what, Eric? It's amazing. All those jobs that I had before Mm -hmm. where I thought I was just marking time, Mm -hmm. God used all of those skills, every single one of them in in this role. It's like God's tied all the threads of my life together. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so part of your role as the director of Good News Unlimited is traveling and being an evangelist. Tell us about what happened one time when you were going to go traveling with your son. Yes, well, this is about uh, a year after I joined Good News Unlimited, and Mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of, for me, confirmation that I was doing what God wanted me to do (laughs) Mm -hmm. in a very sort of dramatic way. So I had uh, been invited to go and address uh, refugees from Africa in Belgium, refugees from Rwanda mm-hmm. and, and elsewhere. There's a lot of them there in Belgium and to preach there to them. And uh, I'd been doing quite a lot of international traveling. And my son, who was about 14 at the time, he said, Dad, I want to go with you. Now, you know, Good News Unlimited is a not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. We rely on generous gifts of uh, fellow believers. Mm-hmm. And they don't give gifts so that uh, wives and family can go on junkets, do they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So so I said to my son, look, I'm sorry, but there's no money for you to do that. We didn't have personal funds for that. Mm-hmm. I said, look, I'll make a deal with you. If you can raise enough money to pay for your air tickets, 
I'll bring you along. Mm -hmm. And so he actually got the recipe for chocolate chip cookies from the back of a a Cadbury's chocolate (laughs) pack or something. Yeah. You know, and uh, so for a year, every week, he would bake trays of chocolate chip cookies and he was still, you know, cute looking. He's (laughs) handsome now, but then he was cute. And so uh, for a year, every week, I'd drive him around the neighborhood and he'd knock on doors and he raised enough money for his airfare. Yeah, very dedicated. um, Yeah, that took a lot of courage for him because he's not that kind of extroverted guy, right? Mm, yeah. So that was amazing. And yeah. so I had to honor my promise and take him along. And on the way back, we had to fly home from Amsterdam, but we were actually in Belgium. And uh, so it's a train trip from Belgium to Amsterdam. And I had the airfares and the, the tickets. Uh, I had the itinerary there and I said to my son, uh, look, here's the itinerary. Uh, what do you think? And my plan was just to catch the train from from Belgium to Amsterdam and just catch the flight straight away off to Singapore, I think it was, and then home. He looked at it and he said, well, Dad, look, I've heard that it's nice to ride a bike around Amsterdam, so what I'd like you to do is to change the itinerary so we can spend a full day in Amsterdam riding a bike. Mm -hmm. So we were going to stay overnight in in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And this was in 2014. And uh, so I rang the travel agent and I said, no, look, I want to change the tickets. Uh, so that we actually leave Amsterdam for home uh, a day later. So we did that. Mm -hmm. And we had a good trip, and then we did just what we'd planned to do. And the day that we had dedicated to riding a bike in Amsterdam, we had the bike side and everything, I woke up first, because what did we say, about 14-year-olds and sleeping (laughs) uh, in the previous uh, episode. (laughs) And so I'm I'm looking at the news on the phone, as I want to do, and and I read about M817, it was the 17th of July, 2014, and I read about this flight, M817, that's come down over Ukraine, and then I start reading that they think it's been shot down by a missile. Mm. And I'm never too good at remembering numbers and all that, but I checked my ticket, and it says M817. And I realised that seats that we had initially intended to be on were on M817, the flight that was shot down over Ukraine. Wow. And if it hadn't been for my son, who had wanted to spend a day cycling around Amsterdam and delayed our departure for a day, my son and I would have been strewn all over a field in, in, in Ukraine, just like those other poor souls who, who wow. perished. Yeah. And it was a really very difficult that morning trying to get news of what was going on because we were flying out on the same identical flight on the same identical route the next day. I've oh, got to yeah. say, we decided to still catch the flight and it was it was actually quite terrifying because we went to Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam and there were news crews everywhere. Mm. Uh, it was the shortest check-in queue that I'd ever been in, I've got to say. Mm. And then because I guess they were rerouting the flight to avoid Ukraine, the flight was delayed by three hours with, with very little information, so we didn't know what was going on. And then I remember I knew that the flight had been shot down just after they'd uh, cleaned up after the lunch service, if I'm correct. Mm. And I remember that after lunch was served and as the stewardesses came up and and the stewards came up and and collected the trays and the dishes and whatnot, I remember just breathing a sigh of relief and sending up a prayer to God. Mm. And what impact did this have on your life? Well, my first thought, Eric, was why me? Mm. You know, why did I survive and why did God intervene with me and not with all those other poor souls. You know, there were cancer researchers there, Mm. many people who are probably much more important than me Mm. in many ways in society. Why me? And, you know, I've come to the conclusion that, you know, it's not because God loved me more than them. I'd never say that. Mm -hmm. 
and I don't understand or have all the answers, not at all. But the conclusion I did come to is, and I did it, is that I needed to rededicate the rest of my life to just telling people about how good God is and how good his salvation is through Jesus Christ. Mm. And so that's what I've dedicated my life to. Mm. Well, you've been on quite a remarkable journey from Switzerland to Australia, then traveling all over the world, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But also, we also heard about your personal journey through legalism to the freedom found in God's gracious salvation that he offers to all of us. Thank you so much, Eliezer Gonzalez, for sharing your remarkable story with us today. Uh, You're very welcome, Eric. That was Eliezer Gonzalez sharing his life journey with Eric Scatterbo. Eliezer is the director of Good News Unlimited Ministry. And if you'd like to find out more, their website is goodnewsunlimited.com. Once again, that website, goodnewsunlimited.com. Finally, it was great to hear how the truth found in God's word is what ultimately set Eliezer free from the trap of legalism and believing that he had to work hard to gain God's acceptance. This is the opposite of what it says in the Bible. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. To all who believed in Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, if you want to be adopted into God's family and become a child of God and know that you are accepted by your Heavenly Father, you can by believing in Jesus today. If you'd like to pray with someone about this, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's one 800 772 We'd love to pray with you on that number again, 1-800-772-936. Well, thanks for joining us for Eliezer's incredible story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. When I was in this hotel room in Brisbane, room 814 on the eighth floor, and I walked out on a bright sunny morning, I felt I felt like someone or something was pulling me over the edge and someone or something was pulling me back inside. I mean, I seriously contemplated jumping. But the night before, I was reading a Gideon's Bible in my hotel room. Bernie Diamond's voice is well known across Australia because his programs, Christianity Works and A Different Perspective, are heard on Christian radio stations all over the country. But what is not as well known is his own personal story and how he went through a very dark period before God finally got a hold of his heart. We'll hear Bernie Diamond's full story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 